0: All right, would you guys join with me in prayer, and uh, we'll, we'll just prepare our hearts to hear what God has to say for us. Father, I pray that we would lay aside um, all the distractions and, and even wickedness that's in our hearts, God, and we would uh, receive with humility and meekness your implanted word, the, the word that's about to get implanted in our heart. And, and God, I pray that you would do some saving today. I pray that you would deliver us from um, evil, but also deliver us from um, self-focused life, God, and, and you would help us to be able to focus everything on you, Jesus, and on what you uh, have done and are doing and will do, um, and help us to live a life that is uh, fully surrendered to your ways and, uh, and engaged with your life. Uh, Jesus, I pray for all the kids downstairs, God, that your word would get planted in their hearts, just like it's being planted in ours, and I pray that their hearts would be soft and that they would hear it and they would receive what you have done for them. And I pray as a church, Father, that we would um, be truly humble and, and, and lift our eyes in confidence to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That verse, again, was lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So as we've been going in this chapter, Jesus has been giving some parables, some stories. And, and so far, we've learned a few things. The first, we studied uh, the parable of the soils, which was four different soils, and those soils, uh, the seed that was scattered on these soils represented the word of God, His message, His gospel that was going out into the world. And and we saw that this word is scattered every time someone hears about Jesus. Their heart is the soil, and sometimes the soil is hard, and sometimes it's shallow, and sometimes it's distracted with other things, and sometimes it's soft. And the condition of the heart determines what happens with the word of God in their life. It's either going to grow and produce fruit if, it's, if it goes down and grows, or it's going to be choked out or never grow if, if our heart is hard or shallow or distracted. So we learned that first, and, and that was that first parable. Then we, uh, Jesus taught us that his own life was like a light bulb or a, a lamp that was brought into a room, and, and it shines into our dark hearts. So in the first parable, his life was like a a seed. In the second parable, his life was like a lamp shining, and and it it revealed things. And he said the important lesson for that that parable was that if we don't continue to walk in his light, then we will shrivel up and our hearts will grow dim. We will lose the light that that we once walked in if we don't keep walking in his sufficiency instead of our own. And we saw that that was really important because so many times we become Christians and we start thinking, hey, I'm starting to figure out this thing. I know what words not to say anymore. I know what words to say. I know what to do and what not to do. I'm starting to figure this out. And Jesus says, that's not the gospel. That's not what I did for you. The, the gospel is you got to keep your mind and heart focused on what I have done for you. Keep your eyes focused on me. And that uh, is keeping yourself in the light or walking in the light Jesus said. So today, Jesus is going to teach us that God doesn't need you to try to be something special, but he does everything special for you. Um, there is a, a movement, or it's, it's really old, but it's an idea that we need to be self-confident and self-sufficient. And those are the opposite of what the gospel says about us. We don't need to be smart or self-confident and prideful or self-sufficient. We don't need those things. Although inside, it feels like we need those things. Like maybe if I was just a little bit more confident in myself, I would be able to go out and talk to people about Jesus. I would be able to talk to my friends about Jesus. That's what I need. Just just get me a little excited. Just get me fired up. And that'll get, that, that will do it. And Jesus is going to teach us a, parable, a couple of parables today that are going to show us that the opposite of that is true. God doesn't need your excitement. God doesn't need your effort. God doesn't need your confidence and your sufficiency. He does not need those things for his kingdom. You are free to be small. When I was growing up, I was not the popular kid. Anyone like me? Not the popular kid in school? BK is very not, okay. He was like, yeah! <laughs> I, I wasn't, but there was something in me that I always wanted to be the popular kid. And so I would see their fashion sense and their style, and I would, I would try to imitate it, even though my, my parents didn't get me the exact right clothes. And so I came off looking really nerdy. You ever did that? I remember once there was like, vests were in style. So I had this really long vest, and I, I didn't have a T-shirt. I wore a turtleneck under it, and it looked super nerdy. I looked back at myself just like, oh. And the things I did with my hair just to try to look cool, oh, the 80s and 90s were not kind. Um, but, yeah, I know, yeah, I need to try a little harder. Okay, but there was this part in me that I did not want to be unimportant. I wanted people to look at me. I wanted people to be impressed and, and feel like I had something to offer the world. But what we're going to learn today is that Jesus says you don't have to feel that pressure. You are free to be small. You're free to be unimportant. You're free to be humble. You don't have to feel like you, are, are cha- you, you need to change this world on your own. You don't, you don't need to bear the burden of bringing God's kingdom In fact, nothing you can do will add to what Jesus has already done. How prideful is it when we're thinking about serving God to think that our works will add value to what Jesus has done. His work that he did on the cross is the pinnacle of works. It's the thing. It's the only thing that anyone can ever do that matters. He did it all. Well then, what are we doing? Well, why, do we, why do we do what we do? Like I've heard the church does things like love people and share the gospel and, and do altar calls. Why are we doing those things? What can I do? If you're telling me I can't add value to what he did, then what in the world are good works and why should I do them? All we can do is bear witness to what Jesus has already done. That's what our goal is. That's what our job is and our mission is, to bear witness or to tell people about what Jesus has done. Well, how am I supposed to do that in this world? Well, he forgave me, so I'm going to forgive you. That bears witness to what Jesus did. So forgiving is a good work, right? It's a good thing to go forgive all the people that have ever wronged you. And every time someone cuts you off, hey, I forgive you. But bearing witness is, he forgave me, so I forgive you. How about, he loved me, so I'm going to love you. This is bearing witness to what Jesus did. We are going to be a loving people, loving our wives, loving our husbands, loving our children, loving our church, loving our neighbors, because he loved me. That can be the only motivation. If you're loving your wife because you know it's the right thing to do, you're failing. That's not the right thing to do. It it is the right thing to do, but it's not the right way to do it. That's not the right motivation. Just because it's the right thing to do. It needs to be motivated by what he did for me. He loved me, so I'm going to love you. He sacrificed everything for me, so I'm going to sacrifice for you. It's not about what I want. I'm going to sacrifice what I want for what you want. He served me, so I'm going to serve you. He revealed God's heart to me and God's plan to me, so I am going to take time to tell you God's heart and plan for you. This is what it means to bear witness to what Jesus has done. See how it affects everything? And and this isn't and now we're not trying to, okay, how many people have I shared the good news with today? It's not motivated by that. It's it's Jesus has done this for me, so I have I, I'm going to share it with you. It's bearing witness. That's all we have to do. It's, it's always his good works that inspire, empower, and animate our good works. You don't have to find motivation. Jesus is our motivation. It's his spirit that's planted in your heart and it flows out of your life, controlling your actions if you let him. If you let him. So here's the sad truth. We are incapable of bringing God's kingdom to this planet. We're incapable. But here's the happy truth. That wasn't our job in the first place. He said, I'm bringing my kingdom. And we can partner with him by bearing witness to his kingdom. God's kingdom in this world right now is that he has gotten control of your heart. And you can love with his love. That is the biggest evidence and fruit of his kingdom is love. When you have your actions controlled by him and and you are loving enemies and you're loving your spouse and you're loving your family, this love, motivated and inspired and empowered by him, that is God's kingdom being manifested or revealed to this world and and when we think of god's kingdom if you just want to shortly define it it's jesus is going to come fix everything and make it all right he's going to fix everything no matter what you think about eschatology or when or how or what the what the specifics are of how he will do it we know that jesus is going to come and he's going to fix it all and he's going to rule and reign and that's that's great news but the evidence that it's real and then it's coming and it's happening is he is coming and fixing me. His kingdom is alive in me, and it's fixing me. The, the parts of me that were broken, selfish, and hateful, he is transforming into loving, serving, and, and uh, glorifying to God. So that's how this, this is working. The, the, uh, we are incapable of doing it ourselves, but he has done it all for us. These are the great truths that we stand on. So let's look at part one, this first uh, parable that he says, and it starts in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. A man. and, And should sleep by night and raise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. But he himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Do you have that video? Did you get that email? Okay, don't worry about it then. Um, So we see a man. Who is this man? 22 Jesus points up for grabs. Who is this man? No. No. Correct answer is, he doesn't tell us. <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, he doesn't tell us because it's not important who this man is. This man is unimportant to the story. It doesn't matter who this is because he is not the point. The point is he scatters seed, which means he shares the word of God, which is what we just said. He bears witness to what Jesus has done. I'm translating this into our world here. He, then what does he do? Nothing. Nothing. He just bears witness to what Jesus has done, God's kingdom. He plants that seed, and then he does nothing. In fact, he goes, does less than nothing. He goes to bed. It's just rest is his experience. Yes, he shared. He was faithful to share and witness to what Jesus had done, now he just goes to to bed and and the seed sprouts and it grows with some invisible force that we don't understand and I, and I had this video this was a really cool video of like seeds that were planted and it was a time lapse of what happens in the earth and you guys all went to sixth grade you know what I'm talking about um, and they, and the, the roots grow down and then the plants and it's all just it just happens. All we did was put it in the ground. And the, and the some invisible force produced all that was needed for this, this plant to have life. Each and every stage of, the, of its life is taken care of by this invisible power. And in the end, this unnamed, unimportant man, he, he gets to go out and harvest the fruit of this plant that he did nothing to produce. He went to bed. And rested. He was only faithful to scatter the seed or to bear witness to what Jesus had done. He was incapable, but faithful. And I want you to take those three words and kind of put them as a label on yourself. I am incapable, but God asks that I be faithful. I'm incapable. I can't do it, but. I can be faithful. I can put my faith and trust in him. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson for you and for me from this parable. The coming of the kingdom of God is not contingent on human activity. The coming of the kingdom of God is not dependent on human activity. But that's not what I feel. Because what I feel is, is that it depends on me. It dep- uh, that you guys aren't going to grow if I don't do something. That, that something's not going to happen in the city unless I come up with the greatest idea. And So I'm trying to call Kanye, will you come and do a concert at our church? I didn't do that, but maybe I should. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not about what we do or don't do. And this, when you get it, is the most freeing, exciting part of the gospel, I think. God's kingdom will come, not because of you, but in spite of you. And he offers this amazing partnership to us where he says, I I do want to use you, but we're going to do this my way. And that's what these parables are teaching us. My way is not your way. Your way is about plans and, and figuring stuff out and putting in lots and lots and lots of effort. And my way is you bear witness of Jesus, then please get out of the way and go to bed. Go to sleep. And when you go to sleep, I will do all that is needed. And when you wake up, there will be fruit. When you, your job is to rest. Bear witness of me and rest. What Jesus is doing is something that you could never do. You can't change people. How many of you have tried really hard to change somebody one time? How about every day of your life? <laughs> we have this horrible addiction to trying to change other people. And, and we've, we, we, we have different strategies that we can try. We can try being really nice to them. Oh, I can get them to do what I want. I can change their behavior if I give them an incentive. Or I can change them by giving them a negative incentive. I'm going to be mean and angry until they do what I want. We can't change people, though. That's all efforts of the flesh. Only God can change somebody. And what does God say we should do to people? Love them. Absolutely love them. It doesn't depend on you. Yes, you may scatter some seed on the ground, but you really have nothing to do with the growth or the life that's produced. God's grace and kingdom are never earned by us. Um, We can't ever do something to cause the blessings of heaven to fall on us because blessings are a gift of grace. And can you earn a gift? No. No. For it to be a gift, by definition, you cannot earn it. It must be given free. That's how gifts work. If you wake up on Christmas morning and you say, here, child, is all of your wonderful gifts. You can repay me over the next month by chores. Are those really gifts? No. Those are (laughs) pre-wages. They're wages. And... Gifts and grace, gifts is the same as grace, must be given freely, and they're given freely to the humble, God says. I give my gifts to anybody who would be humble. So I'm going to read our, our verse again from James. And this, th- this verse is going to encapsulate everything we're going to learn today, and so we're going to read it several times today because it's so amazing. He says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Do you starting to see the connection between our parable of this planted seed and and the, how it magically, invisibly produces fruit, and what he's saying here? The only work Jesus wants us to focus on is receiving. This is your job, receiving. So. Are we receiving? What does that mean? Or are we earning, taking, fighting, and trying? Do you see the difference between those two worlds? There's the receiving world where you're like, okay, I'm going to receive. What do I do? I guess I just look to the Lord and wait for him. Maybe I'll put my hands like this because this is a good receiving way, right? I want to be ready when he, receive, when he gives it, so I'm going to have a, an attitude of receiving versus an attitude of earning, taking, fighting for it, or trying, all of which my hands are busy doing things, whereas receiving is a very peaceful and a very humble position. Who wins a war by doing this? I can only think of one guy. Oh, Jesus, that was a good one, right? He, he did that. Moses, right? There's a good one. He did this, right? When he was fighting the Amalekites, and then he got tired, and they held his arms up, but just receiving victory. It was a good, really good illustration. So he says, in our verse, he says, Lay aside evil and wickedness and receive. So lay aside means turn away from, and receive means turn to. So we turn away from evil and we turn to what? Jesus. Jesus. Uh, and we do each of these by faith. So we're, we're going to turn away from sin by faith and we're going to turn to Jesus in faith. And so Jesus wants us to realize that his kingdom only operates by faith. That's what this parable is about. You don't understand how I'm going to do it all. I just need you to remember Turn away from the evil and turn to me. Keep your eyes on me. Last week, we had this verse that said, give more earnest heed or or remember to always be thinking about Jesus and what he did. All right, so that's part one, the the parable of this this seed. And now we're going to look at part two. And part one was about faith in Jesus. Number part two is going to be about humility. How about that? Imagine, amazing how those two things go together all the time, right? Mark chapter 4, verse 30, then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or which parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed. When it is sown in the ground, it is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So here Jesus draws our attention to the seed, and he says in this parable that small is the key word. Okay, small is the key word. And then God brings the growth, and it becomes large because of what God does, this invisible work that God does. And so this parable is about humility, and you get to be the seed in this parable. You get to be the seed. And he says, God's work in you starts with humility. It's the foundation of God's kingdom. Again, the success of God's kingdom does not depend on your abilities or your largeness. You're like figuring it out or, or what you know, but it depends on him. And so it will be so... And, and then he says here, if, you, if you'll start and live your life with humility... He says, you will be so successful that my work, my gospel will spread out to every single nation and people through you and through what I'm doing with humble people. You will be a part of it. And you say, nations, where did you get that? Well, he says here that the work he does, when something starts small and then he brings growth to it, he says, it gets so big that all the birds of the air can come and nest there. And so people have long thought and wondered, what does this mean? What do birds of the air represent? And so some some people say that it's Satan, that birds represent Satan. Because earlier in our chapter, in a different parable, the birds of the air did represent Satan coming and plucking the the word of God away. But there's there's some other option. Um, Some people think it's shelter for kingdom citizens, or basically uh, that the church... Will provide a home for many people. That's an interesting thought. That's a good thought. Um, and the another thought is that it means that the nations. The third option is that it means the nations coming into the kingdom, which I think that's the one it is. The fourth option is that it means nothing. It's just part of the story. So I think it's number three. When you when you see um, this verse in Ezekiel seventeen. Verse 23, he says, On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, and I will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar, and under it uh, dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell. Here he's he's saying Israel is like a tree, and these birds are actually the other nations coming to Israel. And we see it again in Ezekiel 31.6. All the birds of the heaven made their nests under in its boughs, and under its branches all the beasts of the field brought forth their young, and in its shadow all great nations made their home. So we see the same um, context right there. What does this mean? Okay, so we've we've kind of learned about the birds and the starting small. This means that Jesus says that he will take small things and make huge things out of them. He will take something small and make something big out of it. He's taking a small group of men right here in our story, his disciples, who there's 12 of them, and he's going to create a church that's going to be larger than any nation in this world and fill every corner of the world. Jesus is committed to this. He loves humility because... He gets the most glory when he does something amazing and big with it. That's why he loves humility. He, he just adores it. When we say, I have nothing that I can really do for you. I am broken. I am, I am hurting myself. And I, I'm just making myself available to you. Whatever you are going to do through me, you're going to need to do it all because I cannot do it on my own. That is a great example of humility. How humble can you be? What do you think? How humble can you be? What did you say? dead. Dead. That's the extent, I guess, of... Weakness, like humility would be an example, like kind of equal with weakness, and the ultimate extent of weakness is death. That's, so that's true. That's a great point. Can you take humility too far? Can you become too humble where God says, oh, man, I can't do anything with this guy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be too much work for me, God, to do anything with this guy because he just, he, he's just so humble. Do you think that, that could ever be? No. You can't take humility too far. So what are we afraid of? Why do we resist being humble and depending on God? Well, I think a lot of times because we're scared of what people will think of us. What do you mean you don't, you don't do anything in the morning until you receive Direction from God through the word of God. What do you mean? You, you're not going to come out and do the things that we do because you're waiting on God. What do you mean? And people will think you're weird. And this humility thing will wreck your reputation. People will see that you are not strong. But all of us are faking it anyway. Anyway. We're not strong. We're not sufficient. We can't do the things God asks us to do at all. And anytime we look like we're doing it, we're just faking it anyway. So what are we really afraid of? We're afraid of people and what they think of us. God says, I love humility. Be my mustard seed. Let me do something great and big and grand with you. Be as small as you can possibly be. Um, have you, look at what Jesus ends up creating with these 12 goofy, insufficient guys, his disciples. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number—this is the church— of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the, the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God and who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Wow! There we see a picture, an image, Jesus on his throne and all these people all around him, even with branches just like birds in the branches, right? Like in our parable. But here it is the church, the whole church. So exciting. So let's review. What have we learned from Jesus so far today? Number one, the kingdom of God does not depend on human abilities or efforts. Okay? Jesus will produce the fruit he wants to see. We need to have faith in him. Just go to sleep, get out of his way, and what are you supposed to do? Just love love the people. If you want to see God's king, just love him. Be patient, love, and rest. Rest in his power. Number two, the kingdom of God doesn't need you to be large. He needs you to be small. Jesus will take your humility, and he will do more than you could ever imagine with it. So therefore, we need to be humble before him. Okay, so what do we do? What does this look like practically in our lives? We're almost done. We're just going to look at one really practical thing. We are going to draw near to Jesus. That is our, our needs to be our focus and our number one priority. In the finishing our text here, Jesus said in Mark 4, verse 33, at the end of these two parables, it says this, "...and with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he did not speak to them." And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Okay, so you're asking, why did Jesus give all these parables? This is the reason. He wants you to be a little bit confused sometimes. And then he wants you to take that confusion and that struggle, and he wants you to come and get alone with him. And in that alone, solitary relationship with him, he says he will reveal everything to you. He will show you. He will show you. He wants you to get alone. Those who drew close to Jesus, those were his disciples, it says. He ex- not the people who listened to all of his par- parables, but the people who, who would then go and actually draw near to him. He explained it all in that near-close communion. Only in close communion and connection with Jesus can we understand the, the language that he's speaking, the things that he's trying to say, the secrets that he wants to reveal to us. These parables are full of secrets that he wants to reveal to you. You remember the two disciples after Jesus had, had uh, died and they were on the road to Emmaus and, they, and Jesus came along walking next to them, but they, God concealed Jesus' identity so that they didn't know who it was. And Jesus was like, hey, what's been going on? And they're like, what are you talking about? How are you the only person in all of Israel who doesn't know what's been going on? The Messiah came and then we all murdered him. And now he's gone and we are so sad and we don't know what to do. To them, the events of the time had become a parable. They were confused. They didn't understand what was going on. And so Jesus walked with them, and then he started to explain things to them and how the Messiah needed to die for their sins. And they're just like, oh, I don't understand this. And then it says they got to where they were going, and Jesus was like, well, I'm going to go on a little further, see you guys. And they're like, no, 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 please come have communion with us. Have, break some bread with us. We want to know you more. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. And as he broke the bread, it says that their eyes were opened and they understood everything and they knew who he was. And then he disappeared. And they're like, oh my gosh, we have to go back. He's alive. And so they run all the way back to Jerusalem. And that story shows us that in the breaking of bread communion, or that's symbolic of a close relationship with Jesus. That is where things are revealed to your heart. And so maybe in your life right now, you're like, I, God is really a weird mystery to me. Things are confusing in my life. I don't know why this is happening and this is really confusing and this just hurts and I am everything is like a parable in my life. I need, man, what do we do? We draw near to Jesus listening like he spoke his word to them and they just absorbed his word do the same thing go get alone with your word let him speak to you let him speak in your heart and he will show you who he is so we draw near to jesus then we receive his word with humility um so let's get let's put this verse back up one more time james 121 He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness or humility that implanted word which is able to save your souls. When you guys take in God's word, you're receiving it with humility. That's how we do this. This is how we draw near to him. Take his word, read one verse, and then ask, what do you, what are you, Jesus, trying to tell me? Speak to me. I want to draw near to you. What have you done for me? And let me give you a, a hint. Here's doing it wrong. Okay, You read a verse and then you're like, "What am I going to do for you? That's not the way to go. That is going to confuse your soul and your heart about who the gospel's about. The gospel is what Jesus did for you. That's what will nourish you, and that's what you will bear witness of. Don't try to figure out what you're going to do for him. Let him minister what he did for you. That's humility. Humility or meekness, what is this? It's an entire dependence of God, or you could say something like this. It's absence of self-thought. I'm going to read three quotes to you. First quote. Here is the path to the higher life, down, lower down. Just as water always seeks to fill the lowest place, so the moment God finds a man abased and empty, his glory and power flows in to exalt and to bless that man. Here's another quote. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Humility, it's not about me at all. It's about God and what Jesus God did for me. The last quote, humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Where is Jesus sitting right now? On the throne, throne, in heaven. What does that mean? It means he is the boss. He's in charge of everything. We don't need to try to make that happen. It's already happened. He's in charge of the whole world. Nothing is happening here that he's not in control of. Our job is to bear witness of what he's done and who he is. We're going to close with this text from Philippians chapter two, verse five through nine. And what it is is it's a text about humility and Jesus being our example of humility. Okay, so it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is our example of how we should live. Last thing we're going to read. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So he says, let this mind be in you or receive it, receive it. Wouldn't it be great if we had two teachers in school at all times in the front and and they were competing for our attention where we had a choice, which teaching am I going to receive? This person talking about evolution, which is stupid. Or this person talking about the Lord. That would be awesome. I wish our schools did that and just let the kids decide which they would believe. But anyway, they don't do that. We, but we do have that going on in our life right now. We have Jesus saying, let this mind be in you. And we have the world saying, let this mind be in you. You are awesome. You can do it. You are capable and sufficient. You don't need nothing and nobody. You're strong. That's one teaching. And at the same time, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I'm weak and I'm humble. Which one are we going to receive? Jesus showed us what it meant to humble ourselves before God, and he gave us these four things in this text. He said he made himself of no reputation. What does that mean? It means he has no thought of self. No thought of self. That's, what Je- that's how Jesus lived. And if we're going to receive his word with meekness, that's how we're going to receive his word. No thought of self. Then secondly, it said he became a bondservant, which means no thought of self-will. No thought of self-will. So he made himself a no reputation, which means no thought of self-image. He didn't care what people thought of him. No reputation. He didn't care. Then he made himself a bondservant. No thought of self-will. I don't care what I want. It's all about God, what you want. And then he identified with others. He became a man, which means he had no thought of self-importance. He was God and he became a man that's like further than you becoming the scum on the bottom of a your shoe it's further than that when we're talking about the condescension of god that's god who is high becoming a human being which is low and that is the furthest distance you could ever imagine it's infinite how much higher God is. And Jesus, who was God, said, I have no thought of self-importance or reputation or will. He is glorious, amen? He's amazing. Then the fourth thing is he was obedient to the point of death, which means he had no thought of self-preservation. No thought of it. This is what humility is defined as. Jesus defines it. He had no thought of self-image, no thought of self-will, no thought of self-importance, and no thought of self-preservation. How many times do we live like that? Or how many times are we worried about our image and what people think of us? And how many times are we worried about our will and my plans and my dreams and what I want to make of my life? And how many times are we worried about how, what's important to uh, me? I want to value. I want to feel valuable. And how many times are we worried about self-preservation? I'm not going to Africa. They'll murder me. I'm not going to witness that person. He's scary. He's scary. We are too prideful. All of us. We just are. And we should say this every single week, and every church should teach it every single week. We cannot stand before God in pride. We won't be used. We'll be getting our hands into things we just shouldn't. It's not the way he says his kingdom comes. Jesus lived with perfect humility before God. And what has Jesus accomplished? Everything. He did it all. He's brought it all. So our text again in James 1.21, Therefore laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Doesn't that text now just encapsulate everything we learned in these two parables. That Jesus, he'll do it all for you. Just receive it. And he doesn't need you to be amazing. He can use you as small, so receive it with humility. Trust him, receive it, and humble yourself before him. Humility, okay? So that's our message for today. Let's all stand up. We're we'll spend a couple moments in prayer and in worship here, so church ain't done yet. I really love when Jared leads worship for us. You guys like Jared? We love you, Jared. Um, and I, I think what I really love when Jared leads worship is that I love uh, his humility. Um, he... he takes no thought of self. Uh, he really wants all attention and thought to go to Christ. And so I think that is being faithful uh, to the, what God has been calling him to in his life. So thank you, Jared, for doing that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we I can't even believe how good you've been to us, where you have uh, called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, where we... Um, are free to just be small and and be a child that rejoices in the arms of his father. And God, I, I thank you for every single person here, and I pray, uh, Jesus, for our church family here, God, that you would you would teach us to depend on you. And that, God, I pray that you would show us tokens of your power and your glory and your work this week. I pray that we would bear witness to your finished and completed work on the cross. And, God, that you would, by your own power and for your own glory, that you would give us fruit. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to not stress about about things that we should not worry that are above us. But God, help us to be so humble that we allow ourselves to just be planted in the ground in the lowest place so that your kingdom can come in your way. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be exalted and we want to disappear. We want to be just invisible when people look at you. God, I'm reminded of how um, you have a, Um, a specific plan and a calling for each one of us, but it is not to be something great. You're calling us to join you in death first. So Lord, I pray that our church, this church here and all your church, that we would join you, pick up our cross and follow you to death. The, the, uttermost extent of humility and weakness we want to go there we want to see how humble we can be we want to see just how weak we can be so that your strength must be seen in our life forgive us for how much self and pride that we have lived with how our first inclination every time we're uh, approached with a trial and in a, a difficulty, every time we look to ourselves, God, we need to be broken of self-trust. We need to we need to give our first thought needs to be of you, and we need to come to you and confess that it's your power, it's not ours. It's your life, it's not ours. And it's your righteousness, it's not ours. Lord, transform us into being a, a humble people that has your heart, no thought of self. Lord help us to worship you right now with a, a receiving attitude, and God just pouring out praise to our sufficient Savior. Amen.